Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. A lot of people don't even know. Like, I, 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 our children are coming up missing. Yeah. Most domestic minor sex trafficking, you know, it doesn't happen like that. You, mm. know, you run into what you call these Romeo pimps. Mm. And, you know, a lot like my situation where you can be dead in the center of it and not even know. There's a lot of people in society who reinforce that belief, who will say that there are just some young girls who are fast, some young girls who are just promiscuous. Right. And, you know, in doing that, that's misidentification of people who are actually victims. Right. And there's no such thing as a teenage prostitute. There's no such thing as a minor who was consenting to her own exploitation. So, I mean, that's that's a big start. We need to really understand what it means to be a trafficking victim in this country. I'm a diverse individual. All of this shit is real. Everybody's like, ah, what is it? Is he a family man? Is he a trapper? Is he a ladies man? Well, I'm all of it. All of it. I beat your ass, kiss your girl, and go tuck my kids in. And then I show up and lead a march on the weekend. <laughs> it's all real. This is Expeditiously. I am Tilt T.I. Uh-huh. Now, the following experience is not a test. The conversations and stories expressed on this podcast are meant to be an expression of purpose and truth. This show, properly entitled Expeditiously, is a free exchange of ideas and opinions. No judgment, no preconceived beliefs, no fear. You're encouraged to share your thoughts and ask any question as long as it's done with respect. And that's through true love and respect for others that we will change the world and speak truth to power one show at a time. Now, without further ado, this is Expeditiously. I'm Tip T.I. Harris. Today's a very special installment of Expeditiously. Today's guest is a person whose real life story I first learned about it uh, a few years ago. And just like everybody else, I was outraged. After her case went viral, me and other celebrities and other just people who uh, want to maintain fair and decent treatment of our women and children, man, we, we, we stood up and answered the call. After being convicted and sentenced to life in prison in the 2004 murder of Johnny Allen, a 43-year-old Nashville real estate agent, I guess today said Allen picked her up for sex in East Nashville. Uh, she shot him as he lay in bed next to her to defend her own life and escape the terror that she was being subjected to. She told police that he was reaching for a gun, rightfully so. She did what was necessary in those circumstances. She was 16 at the time. Her story galvanized the celebrity community and the community at large who began championing her release. And now her new memoir, Free Centoria, My Search for Redemption in the American Prison System. Centoria chronicles her journey leading up to and during her time in the Tennessee Prison for Women in Nashville. Please welcome, finally, after all this time, to expeditiously, the Queen Centoria Brown Long. What's going on? Life is good. Amen to that. It just truly feels like a blessing to see you uh, here enjoying the the liberties of life as you should be after so long. Um, I can't start this conversation without saying how proud I am and many others are of you. Your story, it angered and inspired and motivated people around the world. And I'd be remiss not to make that statement my first course of business. Do you ever get tired of telling this story or hearing about it? You know, sometimes it's not always comfortable. And, you know, sometimes it can be like, 
Well, I'd rather talk about other things, but I just keep reminding myself that God gave me the testimony for a reason. Right. And so many other people can be helped by it. And I mean, who cares if it's a little repetitive? Who cares if it's a little uncomfortable? I get it. You know, there's a lot at stake. So I get it. I mean, um, so how, how many years like did you actually serve? I actually served 15 years to the to the T. Sheesh. Man, I mean, like, so what was your mindset? Like, let's say before the, uh, your case went viral, what, what, were you already kind of like digging into the law library? And what was your mindset at that moment before all of this came to a head? So from the time that I was arrested, I was told that I'd be tried as an adult. You know, I started mm. learning everything that I could about the law i'd ask my lawyers you know bring me in whatever you can right uh, the black's law dictionary that she brought me <laughs> i still have it it's tattered so i started digging in to really trying to understand everything that i could and mm-hmm. i continued that i always made sure that i researched i didn't really rely on just leaving it in the hands of lawyers although i had capable lawyers right so i had always nobody fought. gonna love you like you okay <laughs> yeah you're always your own best advocate that's real and so I was I was in that place and I was getting lawyers who were extremely experienced, who knew judges right. and appellate courts. And I'm thinking each time, OK, this is going to be it because this guy knows this guy. Obviously. Yeah. But appeal after appeal, it just kept getting denied. And I kept holding on to the hope that I would get out someday. Right. But in November 2016, my last appeal was denied, my federal habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. And clemency, there's literally a slim to none chance that anybody ever even receives a recognition of their petition by the parole board. Right. It's less than a 1% chance. And that was my only chance at that time. And I remember it was like March 2017. Okay. I was talking to my husband and I just really just broke down because I was like, I may actually do life in prison. Mm. You know, and when he had first wrote me, he said, you know, God is bigger than any sentence. He's bigger than any judge, any jury. He can turn it around and he will. He's already said he's going to do it for you. Right on. And so he asked me point blank, are you going to believe man's report or are you going to believe what God said? I said, you know, I'm just going to have faith in God. And when I started getting closer and developing a relationship with them, I started to see how things just started turning around without me doing anything. Right. The appeal that. You know, a federal appeal, federal habeas appeal, you have to get permission to appeal that. They told me it was dismissed and I couldn't appeal it. It was dead. It Mm, got reopened. Without prejudice. It was dead and Mm. it got reopened. And it was like, wow. Yeah. And fast forward four or five months out of nowhere, out of nowhere, all of a sudden I'm going into the school and the teacher says, girl, have your people been on Instagram? And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. Why? Right. And she said, T.I. tweeted about you. I was like, that's, that's probably not real. It's probably a fake account. They got <laughs> several fake accounts. And it just kept coming so rapidly. And I started to see how God had touched people all across the world. And yeah. I was coming from a place where, you know, we're not seen. We're not right. heard from. And to see so many people just, just stand up, like, it really did give me hope. Man, I think, you know, it infuriated me that. A judge couldn't see that a 16-year-old found reasoning to take such necessary action due to the the what she what 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 she was being subjected to, and said that that's no reason for her to take this white man's life. 
that's what I saw when I and that made me upset. Um and that's why, you know, I began to make phone calls and, and post stuff and just figure out what's the play. And everybody said the only way to do it is to get to the governor. Okay, now let's pause that for a second to talk about the holiday. Now, I know, I know, it's kind of crazy to talk about the holidays this early, but trust me. You don't want to go through another holiday season looking snack tooth and, you know, with your mouth looking like a broke gate trying to take photos. And everybody else is going to be grinning ear to ear with teeth like me, you know what I'm saying? What you need to do to get yourself photo ready, or a photo ready smile at least, starts right now. And it's easier than ever with clear aligners from Candid. Candid's aligners can help straighten your teeth faster than traditional wire braces. Treatment takes just six months on average. An experienced orthodontist who's licensed in your state creates a custom treatment plan. Then they show you a 3D preview so you can see how your teeth will look after you're done. Alright, I should have did that. Candid's aligners are comfortable, removable, and completely invisible. Candid ships your alignments directly to you, so there's no hassle of going to an orthodontist office. And Candid costs 65% less than braces. Now, damn, I could have saved... Anyway, so now what you need to do to get yourself photo ready for the holiday, at least you smile at it. Go to CandidCO.com slash TI and use code TI to get $75 off. That's CandidCO.com slash TI. Code TI for $75 off. Thank me later. CandidCO.com slash TI code TI. Now back to the discussion. Let me ask you this. When Haslam, the former governor of Tennessee, uh, took the rare step of granting you clemency, uh, commuting a mandatory 51 years behind bars to 15 years time served. What do you think inclined him or promoted him or motivated him to do that all of a sudden? Because this wasn't the first he'd heard of your cases. Yeah. Um, well, this actually was, you know, in the beginning, we had already before the the things started to go you mm-hmm. know, viral, we had already been in contact with his chief of staff gotcha. and uh, the attorney, the counsel for the governor. Gotcha. And so we were really just getting advice on how to move forward strategically with filing the clemency petition. Okay. And so when you first reached out to him about it, he was receptive. Well, we hadn't talked to him. We had talked to his people, people in his office they and they were just kind of giving me some pointers. Okay. Kind of giving gotcha. our legal team some pointers. Gotcha. And everything was done very quietly. Okay. And so whenever this happened, I was like really nervous because in a state like Tennessee. Mm, they don't like attention. No. Gotcha. And that makes them even more critical. That right. makes them even more skeptical. And you have to think we're dealing with a man who this may not be the end of his political career. He may decide right. to run again. Absolutely. And he's a Republican governor. Sure. So we were really worried. Um, but he made it very clear that he was going to focus on the petition. He wasn't going to allow the sheer amount of attention mm-hmm. to make him pay any more or less attention because he didn't want it to come across as him being unfair to others or right. unfair to me. Um, so I was really grateful for that. That was noble. And, yeah. And so, you know, he just decided that, you know, 51 years is too long for someone and it, it Sure. Especially when you see that they've made such strides to change their lives. I mean, especially when their acts were, were taken in self-defense. I mean, of course, I'm biased. So, you know, this is not going to be a a neutral interview. I <laughs> have a I have a, a, a point and position and I'm maintaining it. So if you don't like it, you can stop listening now. <laughs> 
<laughs> you shared in an interview that you spent time with the former governor and his wife. And I think this is a true example because I say to people all the time, it's not about black or white. It's not about Republican or Democrat. It's about decent and indecent, mm-hmm. you know, fair and decent people who feel like, you know, people should be treated the way they like to be treated. They behave a certain way. And other people who think that they should be treated differently from everybody else because of the color of their skin, they behave a certain way. And whichever side you own, whatever color you are, that's just what it is. Uh, but you shared that you, you spent time with the governor and his wife, the former governor and his wife, and he shared with you that he wished he'd read your book before leaving office. Why, why, why do you think he said that? You know, one of the things that I've learned about being in prison, the people that can really change things, that have the power to change things, they don't always know what's really going on. Right. They don't always know the truth. A lot of things get covered up uh-huh. um, by the captains, by the wardens, uh-huh. by the commissioners. And, and a lot of times they're really going off of information that people are feeding them mm-hmm. and they're being that they're being given. Oh, yeah. By, and it's, it's know, not always accurate. advisors. And mm-hmm. it's definitely it's, and advisors have agendas, you know, more so than anybody else. Yeah, so I think for him it was it was just sobering, like seeing how many times that I had had interaction with the state, how many times there were points of intervention, mm. how many times they could have get got it right but they didn't. Right. And you know, for him to for that to come to his awareness, it was like there was things that I as a governor could have done, mm. and I wish I knew these things. Man, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, when you think back to sixteen-year-old Centoria, uh, like. What was missing or going on in your life that you felt that you had to resort to such such a thing as such a so young in your life? And that's another reason why I wanted to really just dive into everything that happened leading up. Right. Because there was a pattern. Okay. You know, there was a pattern of me wanting to feel like I was accepted. Mm. Me feeling that I had been outcast and I wanted to find somewhere where I belonged. Right. And it had got to the point where I was just desperate. Mm. desperate to be accepted, desperate to be wanted. And, you know, there was someone who picked up on that right. and he exploited that. Right. I mean, I think a lot of girls, and I have daughters, you know, so it's incredibly, like, important and, and a priority for me to to make sure that that their options are always listed in abundance. Uh, but to young ladies who may, may, may be in, in homes that, you know, aren't as stable or whole as they should be for their proper upbringing. What advice can you give someone? You know, one of the things I had to learn, especially being in prison, is you don't have to be a product of your environment. That's right. You don't have your actions don't have to be defined by the circumstances that you're in or the things that you're taught. Um, There's always people who are willing to be positive influences. Mm -hmm. There are so many groups out here in the community who are working with young girls, working to to empower young girls. And, you know, my thing is I spent so much time trying to appease other people. Right. But I didn't, I didn't have to do that all along. Like I don't have to do anything to deserve God's love. That's right. I don't. And there's always going to be somebody who has something negative to say. There's Mm. always going to be somebody who feels that, you know, I don't belong, that they're going to try to count me out, cast me out, cancel me out. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pointless to try to live my life to please other people. And I wish I knew that when I was 16. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, go through that, that phase. Some, some phases are longer than others where, you know, they just, they just search for acceptance. They search for validation everywhere but within, you know what I mean? 
Uh, and I think that that's, a, that's an excellent message. During your sentence, because time is hard to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's like, nobody, I don't know anyone who's been in these situations or circumstances that ever was like, oh, yeah, that shit was a breeze. You know what I mean? Time is like time is hard to do to be away from your family. It's the little things waking up and opening the refrigerator, seeing the light come on. You know what I'm saying? Like the little things that you miss that that make it more mental than physical. A lot of people think, oh, it's dangerous. And, you know, you get stabbed and beat up. And But that's, you know, that's trivial compared to the mental anguish that that and the psych and the psychiatric uh issues that you face going through a lengthy period of time, especially if there's any solitary confinement involved, uh with with, with the CO would be some real dicks too. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about like for real. You ain't never ran nothing in your life, have you? Magitude. You dig what I'm saying? You have absolutely no authority nowhere else. This is the only place where you can come and assert some artificial authority on people. Why would you do that? Like why would that Anyway, so during your time to take your mind off the bullshit, tell, you know, tell the people like what are some books that you that you read that really kind of help your growth and help your evolution. So, one of the first books um that I read and that I really loved was called I Am Thou by Martin Buber. Mm. And I and Thou. I and Thou. Okay. And it's um it talks a lot of it's a philosophical book. It's a hard read. Like you have to read it like <laughs> Five times, and I was what seventeen when I started reading. Right. the dictionary, right? Writing, taking notes, right? Yeah. And um, it's about relation. It's about like honest relation, not the the superficial, not the you know the the meaningless, or really just trying to use people, but like really getting to know like people for people in that right. relation. And the second book was Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman, mm. and I would start to read that book years later and it's actually a book that Martin Luther King Jr. would carry around with him. Okay. Yeah. And so that was a really good book. Um, Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. Was it Saul Alinsky? I think it was Saul Alinsky. Rules for Radicals. Okay. Um, so that just really taught me like, you know, how to be your own advocate basically. That's real. Um, so those three books were some of the closest to me, but the most important, the most meaningful Okay. was absolutely the Bible. I absolutely. had always heard a lot about it and assumed I knew but <laughs> you know when I actually sat down to read it um, it, it really changed me it now, really now me. the thing about the Bible and I always give the Bible I, I will admit I give the Bible a tough time you know what I'm saying because of how many times man has gone in and rewritten it to suit his own needs uh, but I, I can say that it still holds true to this very day no matter what you're going through you could just pick up a Bible, open it up, start reading, and right there where you start reading will be an answer to something that you're going through in your life at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like a groundbreak? Like, tell me, like some groundbreaking lessons early on in your sentence that you kind of had to learn to allow you to mature and kind of adapt somewhat to your environment. Um. Really, just start paying more attention and observing to the people right. around me. Um, you know, I was used to always just walking in a situation, right. just kind of blindly. Sure. And, you know, I was on solitary confinement for two years Sheesh. before I was ever allowed to be out with other people. Kind of right. just jumped in the mix, not really knowing what was going on. Found myself back on Max on gotcha. solitary confinement for another year. At what age? 
Well, I started in Solitary Mama at 16, between uh. 16 and 18. And then when I came to prison, I had gotten a fight and went back for a year when Man. I was... I think I was 18, or I had just turned 19. So you spent your 18th birthday in solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Damn. I think in a lot of kids out here, man, who run around and really, like, you know, just carry on with actions and, and, and engaging in activities with no consideration of the consequences, where it could land them, how it could affect their futures. They don't think about those things, you know. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. know it was possible. I know that like they never they never think about those things and I think it's important for all of us who have who have experienced or endured those types of those types of horrible conditions to let kids know that you, like don't overspoke yourself. Find out what you can handle. Some of y'all can't even take being on punishment. Can't use your phones, can't like so let alone being tossed in a a a, a Five by seven, you know what I'm saying, and 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 can't see the light of day and have all of your freedoms and liberties snatched away from you, forced to do nothing but read and speak to yourself. Like, if that's not really where you want to be and that ain't where you want to take your life, you should be considerate of that as you choose to engage in certain activities. Um, I think that's... And like you said, kids are usually used to just walking into situations, no strategy, no evaluation of it, just kind of die head first into the frozen lake, hoping they neck strong. You know what I'm saying? I think that these kinds of testimonies are incredibly important. You're listening to Expeditiously on Podcast One. Hey, say, look, right, if it's all right with y'all, we're going to take a break from the show expeditiously to talk about sex now with all the stress and anxiety that life can sometimes throw at you the last thing you need to worry about is being able to perform in the bedroom you understand that it's like getting all the way to the finish line and falling on your face before you get to cross the tape you understand so if you're looking to have more intimate relationship and possibly a deeper connection you should try the chewables from bluechew.com bluechew offers men just like you who need help you know what i'm saying i ain't talking about you brother i know if it don't apply let it fly if you don't need it then don't get it but if you do need it it's here for you better to have it and not need it and need it and not have it okay it offer men like you a performing enhancement for the bedroom at bluechew.com you can get the first chewables with the same active ingredients as viagra and cialis but chewables can work faster so you can get to the bedroom do what you got to do asap with no delay with blue chew there's no awkward doctor visit and they send it to you in a discreet package so you ain't got to worry about your business being out in the streets when the neighbors see ups done dropped your package out now it's time for you to be confident in the bedroom every time women love a man with confidence and you can't be confident if you can't perform now here's a great deal for you guys visit bluechew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code tip just pay five dollar shipping that's b-l-u-e Chew.com promo code TIP. Now, they pay me to say it, so chew it and do it. What makes a business a business? It's not the circumstances of a world that woke up on the wrong side of the bed that year, that decade. It's the everyday entrepreneur ready to put themselves out there. We're all sailing against the wind right now, but we will make it to shore. It's been done before, and we will do it again. To help you get started, we're offering websites, marketing tools, and guidance all for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com. I know you're not ready for this from the end yet, so expeditiously shall continue. When did you start writing a book? So, 
I had tried to write for several years. I was always told that I should I should write a book. Right. And, you know, I should tell my story. And I don't know if it was because I I didn't feel that it was finished. I didn't mm. know. I struggled with how how to put it. And it just, I would start, I would stop. At one point, my manuscript even came up missing uh. in a shakedown. And it just was never coming together. And so I want to say December, either late November, December 2018, okay. I was actually at a church service where I had worked in the chapel. Okay. And one of the volunteers had said, God said, write the book. Are and you serious? Yes. Just out the blue. Yeah. God said, write, write the, the book. book. Write the book. And I was like, well, I've been trying. You know, <laughs> you know. so I go back and I call my husband and I'm like, what do you think about this? And we pray about it. And he was like, write the book. And so I start to write it and it just starts flowing out of me. I'm okay. like, I was cranking out like two chapters in a week. Uh, and within three months, I had my manuscript finished. That's amazing. Started working with a writer that took three more months. So now Free Centoria, My Search for Redemption in the American Prison System is available mm-hmm. wherever people go. And, and buy books. And buy books. Or audio books. Audio books as well for those of you lazy motherfuckers that still don't want to read. Oh. <laughs> okay, so, you know, we, we've made mention of your husband. And, and you recently got married to a young man that many of us may have came to know as part of an R&B group that, you know, had quite a few hits in the early 2000s. But I want to offer him the opportunity, you know, to, to speak and share his perspective as well. Could we could we get uh, another mic set up as well? So tell me, how, how did how did you guys meet? What 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 was the beginning of this romance? So the beginning of this. And he may want to tell you, but the beginning of this was actually a... Yeah, we gonna, we want to hear him, but we want... Well, like, for you, how did it begin? It began, I was sitting on my bed after mail call, and I opened up a letter from someone in Texas. Okay. The edges of the letter were burnt. I was like, that's interesting. Mm. I received a letter like that before, and I started reading, saw his pictures, and wrote him back. Okay. Didn't really know if anything would transpire from there, but... You know, we started riding back and forth, talking on the phone. As you know, very expensive phone calls. Right on. Like hours a day. And, you know, I met my best friend. And he was there for me on all those moments that you talked about when it's hard, when you feel like you're trapped and, like, you just feel helpless. Mm. And you don't always want to talk to your mom. You don't always want to talk to your family and let them know what you're really going through. The very personal stuff. Yeah. And and he he was that person for me. Bro. Been a while, man. You know what I'm saying. So, f- so for those that don't know, you were you were a member of you know the uh, super group, Pretty Ricky back then. Yeah, about twelve years ago, that yeah. was uh, after uh, after Pleasure had left. I came in. I was there for a little while. Right on. It was a job to me, though. It was a job. To yeah, you. it wasn't nothing. I was trying to, you know. Okay, so you weren't around. So you weren't a part of the original group. Uh-uh, I wasn't got the you. Original, so I came in, did a job. No, uh, I wasn't looking for fame or nothing like that. Right. Did you it. seem like a pretty reserved cat, like I mean, to I yourself. I mean, I mean, um, according to the internet, I'm not. I'm a clout chaser. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I mean, I'm pretty sure you know things get mixed and screwed. Nah, don't nobody. The internet. Don't nobody care nothing. About. I mean, I always, no. I, I, I will. I know we have Christians in the room, but you know, I will lean on the benefit of. The forgive the blood of Jesus for my forgiveness when I say fuck them people, man. 
You know what I'm saying? I really don't care nothing about none of that shit. That shit there is for the birds. It is. Because as long as you can't, you must live your life for you. You must. I mean, but at the same time, man, you know, we, we, there's so many eyes on us, man, you know, and uh, we want to be the perfect examples, man, uh, because it's my wife's situation. It wasn't just for her. It affects a lot of other people. So sure it does. if we could control the narrative and keep the narrative true, because we mm. live in our truth. You sure. know what I'm saying? That's what we want to do. You know what I'm saying? So now, now, okay. So let's take. Let's go back to before the edges of the letters were burned. Let's go before. Okay, because we want to get into what made you burn the edges of the letter. But even prior to that, what made you write Centoria, and how did you find out about her? I mean, honestly, man, like I say. I was, I was sitting in my room. I had writer's block one day. I was doing, still doing my little things. Two thousand and seventeen, mm. January two thousand seventeen. Okay. And um, I seen her on on YouTube in my room, mm. and uh, it had been posted on there for a few days. And I clicked it. I seen it was like an hour long, and I was like, "Ain't no way I'm finna watch this whole thing." Cause right. I, I don't watch TV that long. Right. It just ain't my thing. An hour later, I'm looking at the TV like, "Wow, that." That was crazy. Yeah. This, this ain't right. Right. I walked back out the room, and before I could get back to the uh, other part of the, the crib I was going to, I felt it in my spirit, the writer. Mm. I didn't know what to say. Right. And, you know, I put the pen to the paper, and it was just like, hey, how you doing? My name is Jay. My name is Jamie. People call me Jay. Yeah. You getting out of prison. Prepare yourself. You finna get out of prison. Hmm. And... Put the paper in. The, uh, I put the the little hashtag, the free Centoria hashtag at the bottom. I put it in the envelope. Mm. And, and this is before me, it was actually. Yeah, a thing. before anybody knew Six who months she before was. That even you know happened. what I'm saying? Like before it was a hashtag. Right. Before anybody knew Centoria, you know what I'm saying? So it's like um, I put it in the envelope, and some told me pull it back out and burn the edges, and that's what I did. And you know that's what caught her attention. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't expect no reply back. I was doing what I was doing. I mean. I don't think at that time of my life I was like, yeah, I'm about to marry somebody in prison. You would have told me that then, I would be like, you're crazy. Mm. You know I mean? I'm living a pretty comfortable life. Uh, got a business running, successful, can do what I want to do, go where I want to do, yeah. money straight. I'm good. Okay. I'm so, Were there any fears or concerns or, like, apprehensions going into it, like, with a person who was not only, like, serving a life sentence, but who had become the face of a very taboo topic. and You know what I mean? Like, did that seem like, by that taboo topic, I mean sexual abuse, uh, sex trafficking. You know what I mean? Like, was, was there any apprehension there? Man, ain't no fears in faith, man. Our, our story is a faith story. Man. That's real. Ain't no fears in faith, brother. You got to pursue it. Be obedient to what the Lord is telling you or go sit down somewhere and let somebody else do it. That's real. He gave me an assignment. I did it, and you looking at us, so I must not have been lying. No, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's real. That's real. They say a picture's worth a thousand words, and presence is worth a million. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, as you begin your advocacy efforts, like what are the greatest challenges that you're facing right now at this stage in life for you? You know, honestly, I feel I don't really feel I have any real challenges. Mm. I think that I've I've overcome the greatest challenge of all. So Absolutely. anything else is just, I mean, that's, that's small. You know, that's the thing. Once we get out of prison, and I say that like I served, I, I ain't served, I served wine <laughs> no time compared to you. But, <laughs> but 
a guy told me, man, who had been serving like, you know, about 12 years when I got there, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, Cats would ask me, you know what I'm saying, about my, my time and my experience. I'm like, man, I don't want to talk about it. I, I'd be damned if I talk about my pain and, you know, me not wanting to be here for my goddamn year and a day. And here y'all is. It done been in here years. And the old man said, look, listen, son, I've been here 13 years. And I ain't no more ready to go today than I was the first day I got mm-hmm. here. You know what I mean? But one thing I can say that once we get out of there, though, nothing else seems like a big deal anymore. No. And that's what I keep reminding myself, what you said, like the challenges that I'm facing. It's a blessing that I can be dealing with these things. Right. And I always carry them with me. The people that I left behind, I always think that they would love this opportunity. So for me, if I did have to say something that, you know, that I carry that I feel like, you know, this is this is a challenge that that I'm facing, uh-huh. it's, you know, getting people to understand, like to look at me and say, OK, well, maybe there are other people who deserve second chances. Right. Maybe, you know, I was wrong. Maybe we do need to change things. Maybe right. Reform is necessary because I know they're counting on it. I can remember when I was sitting in there and anytime I would hear someone speak about prison reform, about changing laws, you know, we get so hopeful we would get so happy you know because i mean they depend on that they're trapped in there a lot of them don't have a bills left and they're they're just hoping for change Mm. i mean man you have an amazing spirit uh both of you i i I support you and you know i'm saying I, i look forward to what you guys will be able to do in the future and speaking of what you'll be able to do in the future uh tell me what's next what's next for centoria so we're actually working um with our attorneys on starting a nonprofit, the JFAM Foundation, or also known as the Foundation for Justice, Freedom, and Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping to be operational by next year. And one of our first campaigns is actually going to be the Glitter Project, which was something that I had started when I was in college um, there at the prison. Okay. And it's the Grassroots Learning Initiative on Teen Trafficking, Exploitation, and Rape. Mm. And that was actually the interview that, that just started everything going viral was okay. actually supposed to be me talking about the glitter project and i had only mentioned clemency just a, a just like one just a five little, seconds. just just, just <laughs> enough for people to know i wanted it <laughs> <laughs> and you know that became the story but it really started with me feeling that it was necessary for us to begin a talking about you know all the different factors that come into play with making girls more vulnerable to being exploited. Sure. All the messaging that we take in around us, the the things that, you know, adults are teaching children consciously and subconsciously. Right. And I really think that it's time for, you know, a shift in our cultural norms when uh, it comes to that. Um, and so that's that's what we'll be working on. I think that's that's phenomenal. And, you know, our efforts are aligned because I'm after finding out that Atlanta was the number one hub or like the capital for sex trafficking. Um, and the, like for the sake of my daughters, I, I feel I feel the need to get involved, you know. So now I've spoken to my governor mm. who reached out to me after he saw a video that me and Tiana Taylor did. and um, I've seen that. I've seen that. Was and we're we working with his wife um, to do PSAs and just kind of go about putting some kind of programs together uh, that that could kind of offer alternatives and, you know, and kind of 
just prevent preventative maintenance mm. for girls who feel like they don't have another way out. You know what I mean? Uh, and a lot of people don't even know. Like, I, 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 tr- our children are coming up missing. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Our children are coming up missing. It's a real sex slave trade that is, you know, the dark web is real. They're, they're real, like, uh, secret societies and super rich people who think that they could actually buy human beings and use them for whatever they want to. And if you have runaway girls, if you have uh, people who feel like, you know, both of their parents are kind of uninvolved, they don't have no real guardians, so won't nobody miss them if they come up missing. Like, that shit is real. Even down to the Uber drivers and, you know what I'm saying, like they, it's some Uber drivers, or some people who have scanners who try to take figure out what uber driver for uber driver say he's gonna come pick you up here it's people out there who trying to beat the uber driver there impersonate the uber driver to get you in the car and take you to a a, 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 a unknown location and do whatever else and they don't always have to kidnap you mm, most, sometimes you can yeah. come trying thinking you turning the trick most domestic minor sex trafficking you know it doesn't happen like that you, mm. know, you run into what you call these romeo pimps Mm. And, you know, a lot like my situation where you can be dead in the center of it and not even know mm. when I was doing what I was doing. You couldn't have told me that that was what was happening with me. I was in a relationship. What do you mean? Like, what? like this is my man. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do to bring stuff to the table. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people in society who reinforce that belief, who will say to that there are just some young girls who are fast, some young girls who are just promiscuous. Right. And, you know, in doing that, that's misidentification of people who are actually victims. Right. And there's no such thing as a teenage prostitute. There's no such thing as a minor who was consenting to her own exploitation. Mm. And, you know, we as a society don't really understand that. There's people in law enforcement who don't understand that. Right. So, I mean, that's that's a big start. We need to really understand what it means to be a trafficking victim in this country. Absolutely. Not. And for that reason, I'm glad that we're, we're having this discussion. Um, I think it's so much that we could do together. And I would enforce your efforts uh, to bring awareness and prevention. And I would ask if you are OK with it, that we do a PSA together. I would love to. Okay, cool, cool. Well, at a later date, I'm sure you know. I'm sure you guys got other things. And, and, and Jay, what, what, what? Uh, you you say you have a, a company. Like, what is it that you would like to share about your company? Oh, it's good. It's running, man. It's I just I just own a home health, and I got a DME company. Okay, it's a dope company. So that's back in Texas, and this oil machine is running itself. Man. Well, man. Well, congratulations, bro. Appreciate congratulations, man. Good for y'all. I'm happy that you guys found love and that you were finally united and, you know, your union is complete. Really? Yeah, you know I mean, I, I really do appreciate the opportunity to sit down with you and thank you guys for making yourselves available. Appreciate and thank you for everything that you're doing right. to just, you know, help give a voice to people who can't use their own because it's important. Hard lately, man. man, you know what? I love it. You know what happened, man? My kids started getting old enough to have to actually go out and live in the world. When my daughter, you know, my oldest daughter, she started driving. She got her own crib. Then I got a 19-year-old son. He got his own car. He going, you know, he going. He got his own crib, too, going back and forth to school. I got another son right now that's 18, out on tour. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So all, so as all of these things began to happen to young teenage boys and girls, 
I was at a position where I was having to let go kind of of my children and send them off to create their own lives for themselves. So I felt that if I had then gained all this notoriety, all this influence and did absolutely nothing with it that would help make the environment or the, 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 the make the world a better place for them to live in, then I, I would, I, I feel like I would have squandered. Yeah. I mean, you it know, affects us all, God even the justice gifts. system, like people who don't think that it affects you because you've never done anything in your life. That right. doesn't mean it can't. You're just this, one decision away. This, this is true, especially the way, you know, policemen deal with our young black boys oh, yeah. and women. You know, the males and females, men and women, girls and boys are all being shot down and, and, and murdered to, with no accountability. And there are atrocities that are happening in our communities uh, every day. Right. I'm, I'm familiar with police brutality. I, I was on the other end of it just in 2004. They was using mace. They ain't put right. a gun on me. So, right. Yeah, I know a little bit. Okay, so here at Expeditiously, right, <laughs> we have a thing we do. It's called Word of the Week. Okay. All right. So Word of the Week is a word that we select from the dictionary or my vocabulary and it's a word that I think that that is indicative of the discussion and that represents the guest for the day so this word for the week is clemency Mm. now clemency is a word that we hear but I want to make sure that we understand what it means in both regular sense of the word and the legal sense right so the definition of clemency is mercy Lenience, kind, gentle, or compassionate treatment. Now, you know, I think that we can uh, all agree that clemency was definitely warranted in your case. But I'm going to use it in a sentence just for those of y'all, you know what I'm saying, who too lazy to do it yourself. And <laughs> so, now, when I use it in a sentence, just use your context clues. You can take it to work tomorrow, take it to school, use it like you've been knowing it all your life. Centoya Brown was rightfully granted clemency after 15 years in prison. That was a short sentence. You can go and make another fancy one for yourself if you like, but that was mine. So thank you, Miss Centoya Brown Long. Uh, and thank you, Jay, for coming in. Uh, and and being a part of this discussion today. Thank you guys for listening. This has been Expeditiously. Thanks for listening to Expeditiously with me, T.I.P. Don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts and Podcast One and rate and review, please. Expeditiously is produced, engineered, and edited by K.C. Morris. What makes a business a business? It's not the circumstances of a world that woke up on the wrong side of the bed that year, that decade. It's the everyday entrepreneur ready to put themselves out there. We're all sailing against the wind right now, but we will make it to shore. It's been done before, and we will do it again. To help you get started, we're offering websites, marketing tools, and guidance all for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com. Where do ideas start? In the shower? On the bus? On vacation? And then once you've had a good idea, what do you do with it? Let it sit alone in your head? Or put it online with GoDaddy for the world to see? Get started with a domain and a website from GoDaddy. All the helping tools you need online.